This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books. If you like this podcast, you may also like my Conversations from a Page Literary Salon. To check it out, go to cfapage.net. If you have personalized book questions or feedback on my podcast, I can be reached at cindyhburnett at att.net. I partner with Murder by the Book for this podcast, and my wife said You May Want to Marry Me can be purchased there. The link is in my show notes. Today, I am interviewing Jason B. Rosenthal. Jason is an author, foundation board chair, public speaker, and lawyer. He is also the subject of an essay written by his wife, Amy Krause Rosenthal, called You May Want to Marry My Husband, that went viral and was read by millions of readers worldwide. His response to Amy's piece, titled, My Wife Said You May Want to Marry Me, was published in 2018. Amy died of ovarian cancer just 10 days after her article appeared in the Modern Love column of the New York Times. He immediately reevaluated his life's work. Now he speaks publicly and writes about issues related to processing grief and finding hope and joy amongst the pain. Welcome, Jason. I'm glad you are here to talk with me today. How's everything going? Everything's going pretty well, considering. Thanks for having me. Of course. So this is a very personal story for you. Why don't we start out with you telling me a little bit about my wife said you may want to marry me. Sure. My wife said you may want to marry me is a memoir, my memoir, and it's organized pretty much in three parts. The first part really is about my life with Amy and raising our family. It's, it's a true love story. I wanted to give some background into those people that were the subject of the essay that I know we're going to discuss a little bit. And then the middle part is really very tough. So in detail, I go through a lot about what it's like to be with someone that you love at the end of their life. And then the third part of the book, I think, is a story of hope, and it's uplifting in the sense that we all go through loss at some point in our life, and we find that somehow we emerge resilient. And I wanted to share my story of resiliency with others. Well, I do think that grief, as you state in the book, varies so much by person, how you're going to handle things. Being able to read a book like this, I am sure, helped all sorts of people with their own path through their own grief. Well, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. And I, I've certainly learned that lesson unexpectedly, to be honest with you, at the beginning. I, I really didn't know that my story was relevant to anyone else other than me and my family. But due to the, the viral nature of the essay and the fact that it sort of thrust me out there, I've been very fortunate to connect with many, many people around the world. And you're right. We all have a shared story of loss. Well, how did you decide to write the book? It came about in a few ways. The first is that Amy's essay that cast me sort of into the spotlight put me in a position that I didn't expect. And what resulted sort of quickly after that is that I was asked to give a TED talk. The reason that I gave that talk is because I had very soon after Amy died been sort of inundated with journalists seeking salacious details about my personal life that I just was not interested in, nor was I in a position to talk about anything at that point. But by writing the TED Talk and, and delivering it, I was able to convey my message in, in the way that I wanted to talk about it. And sort of immediately after giving it, I was approached by so many people who were just very grateful to me for speaking the way I did about end-of-life issues and everything that I discussed there. And then that led to a writing opportunity, which was a response piece to Amy's in the Modern Love column 
in the New York Times, which has the same title as my book. And then that's how I was approached by the publisher to sort of expand that story and write a book. Well, that portion of your book about the TED Talk and preparing for it and then how it resonated with so many people was one of my favorite parts of the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a real... It was a it was a challenge, you know. I mean, I was used to a little bit of public speaking. I was a trial lawyer for almost three decades, and I've done some of that. Taking it to that level and and stepping into that iconic red circle was really daunting <laughs> and intimidating, and something that I prepared for tirelessly. So when I stepped up there, I, I I wasn't sure what would happen because while I was practicing, it was so very very emotional. But a tremendous sense of calm came over me when I stepped up there and. The 14 minutes went by pretty quickly. Well, that had to be so stressful to prepare for that and relive everything you'd been going through, but it sounds like it worked out and was a a healing experience for you. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, it really was. And I I do think that by having it out there and and even up to this day, it continues to speak to people. I, I, I still hear from lots of people who've really been uplifted by it or at least connected emotionally with it in some way. Well, and I think that's even more important right now. That's actually one of my later questions is whether the pandemic has changed the way people are reaching out to you or their stories or things like that. So we can talk about that in a minute. But I I firmly believe that things happen for a reason, not in terms of Amy's death, but more when you showed up at the TED Talk and you reconnected with a friend you hadn't seen in a long time. Those little parts, I think life throws those your way. Yeah, I know that Amy was a big believer in that. I think that's part of the life experience. I agree with you. Yeah. So what do you hope your readers take away from this book? Well, let me start by by saying this. Unexpectedly, (laughs) what lots of readers have taken away from the book is that it is possible to have a loving and beautiful relationship in the midst of the chaos uh, that life throws at you, as well as the process, uh, in our case, in, in particular, of raising kids and all the stuff that goes on around that, and to really focus on the, the special nature of a beautiful relationship. Uh, so that's one thing that, that, that unexpectedly readers have told me was really impactful. The other thing I wanted to share with people, and that I hope comes through, is that we touched on this, but we all do experience loss at some point in our lives. And as I said before, I felt like my own personal story was the worst that it gets. But really, the truth is that we all have different versions of that similar story that is really, really powerful to us individually. And that it's important to share those stories because it's important to get it out and off your chest and into the open. And and also because you connect really deeply with someone when you share really raw details and personal stories. So I hope people get that from reading my book. Also, a a little bit unexpectedly, I have written a lot about how to talk to someone going through the process of grief and how to be there for people while they're going through it. And I think those two things are really important because I don't think a lot of people talk about those details as I did. And then ultimately, I really do hope that people understand that life is, a, is super short, as, as, as I know, and those of us who've been through loss do know, and that we can get through it and we can use it as a point to be resilient and emerge in a, in a different and, and, and positive way. 
Well, a couple of those things really did resonate with me. First, the appreciating the relationships that I have. I think that's a great reminder right now when we're sort of sitting through this global pandemic. Reading this kind of reminded me I, I have some great relationships and I need to make sure I'm focused on that and appreciate those people and let them know that. And then the part about how to help people or how to speak to people, what to do when they're experiencing grief, I thought was very useful because that sometimes is a very hard thing to figure out. It sure is. I think the biggest message that I convey to people is so simple, but that is that try to say something. <laughs> you know, don't, don't just ignore it. Even if it's something as simple as, you know what, I'm thinking of you. I, I, it's hard for me to find the words as to what to say to you, but I just want you to know that I'm, I'm really thinking about you. And uh, that, I think, in my own experience, goes quite a long way. No, I think that's right. And when I have had friends experience loss like that, just what you said, sending them a text, I'm, I'm thinking about you today, or let me know if I can do anything, but just more that reaching out and not just letting it go, thinking that people want to be alone while they're trying to deal with their grief. Right, right. Even something more specific, like I'm, I'm going to pop by and I'm going to drop something at your door. Don't worry about answering it, but I just want you to know that, that I'm thinking about you and I care about you. Well, and a friend told me once, too, that she felt a lot of pressure to respond to everyone when, mm -hmm. when she was going through her grief. And so I always try to also say, no need to respond to me unless you want to. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Or like you said, I'm dropping something off. You don't need to come to the door. But just alleviating a little bit of the pressure to feel like you have to respond to people. Really good point. I talk a little bit in the book about a, a really good friend of ours who uh, would he, know, he and I are connected through many things, but music is a big thing that we're connected through. And so he would text me, and he's a huge Grateful Dead fan. So he would text me these beautiful Grateful Dead lyrics and didn't really need to say more. That was it. I knew he was thinking about us. So how has the pandemic changed people's reaching out to you? I would, I mean, it's a terrible time to be going through something like this with the limits on the number of people that can attend funerals and being at the hospital. Has that changed the way people are reaching out to you or what they're telling you? My book came out in the middle of the pandemic, as you know. And so at first I was so disappointed because part of how I've been living the last few years is, is speaking all over the world to people about these topics and connecting with human beings in person. And I was really looking forward to that. But like everyone, I quickly shifted. And yeah, I, I think people have looked to me to talk about how to process loss and grief. And I think that those of us who've really been to the depths of grief have a perspective that it's okay, A, to, to grieve and to embrace that when it's necessary, but B, to see that at some point, this will end and that we'll get through it. And so that has been really, I think, important to people to listen to and to understand. And I, I'm, I'm grateful that it spoke to you in a certain way as well by reading the book. Well, and I think the other thing that I took away from it is that grief is not linear. You went to a wedding soon after or, you know, a few months after, and that that really set you back a little bit. And then you had several more losses in a very short amount of time. And this kind of one step, two steps forward, one step back is, is part of the process sometimes. And I think that probably is very helpful for people to hear. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, even now, as you alluded to in this very difficult situation that we've all been living through for a lot longer than we thought. Um, you are most likely going to experience 
really bad days, you know, with high anxiety and, and, and not really knowing when quote unquote normalcy will return if ever, and then feel okay for a week or two or a month or whatever it is. And, and then dip back into that really stressful period in your life. And it's okay. That's a natural consequence of, of loss and grief. But to know that you can get through it, I think is important as well. And that you'll have good days again. Yes. So Amy's essay in the Modern Love column went viral. How did that response impact you? And what did you learn from that particular part of your experience? Well, I mean, in short, it, it completely changed my life. <laughs> you know, I really didn't know how I was going to emerge after losing Amy. You know, there was a part of me that felt like I wouldn't, that I would just crawl into the depths of, of despair and be that guy at the end of the bar who never leaves. <laughs> and, and believe me, sometimes I felt that way. But what she gave me in that essay was a tremendous, tremendous gift and one that I'm so grateful for and that I am trying to pay forward a little bit by, by having written this book and, and delivering my message, which is that it was okay for me to move on, to move on with my life, to find meaning and purpose and love and all of those things that Amy wanted for me that she expressly talked about in that essay. And it also gave me that literal blank space that she left me in her column, which I've used as a metaphor as I continue to move forward still to this day. Uh, filling in those pages of, of that blank space with what I hope is meaning and purpose and, and trying to really appreciate life. One of the things that came back to me over and over again while I was reading your book was the fact that she was able to write that when she did. Really incredible. I know. I, I, I mean, when I first read it, I was just absolutely blown away first and foremost by the prose and how beautiful it was written. Beautifully it was written. And as you said, while she was literally on death's door and very heavily medicated. It's, it's remarkable that she could combine such deep meaning in one sentence and humor in the next. Just an incredible piece of writing. I agree completely. Truly one of those things, and I'm, I'm sure that is why it went viral, but one of those things that will just stay with, I think, everyone who reads it for a very long time. So how are you doing now? I'm doing well. Thank you. I'm doing well. Kids are doing well. And I'm doing well, and I had the unexpected treat of having two of the kids come back home for several months during the midst of the quarantine because they were living in Manhattan, and we, we took advantage of that time and really enjoyed each other's company. And Yeah, the book has been a, a great project and kept me very busy. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thank you for asking. Good. I'm very glad. And I'm glad that the book was a good way to help you work through some of this and get you to where you are now. And I agree completely on the quarantine. I have a daughter in college, actually in Chicago. And so mm. she was home in the spring. And it was an unexpected gift to have that time with her. Definitely a silver lining of the pandemic. Definitely. I agree. Yes. Do you have advice for someone who wants to write a memoir? Here's the thing. When I approached writing this memoir, I almost took it like a journalist would treat a nonfiction piece. And what I mean by that is, turns out I was a bit of a hoarder. So I had all of these materials from when the kids were growing up and when we were raising our family. And Amy had um, begun to fill out these things we call black books. And they're essentially big journals. You know, and as a writer, she would use the written word versus collecting scrapbooks of pictures. What I did was just sort of sit with all of those materials as I started to write the book. And it was very interesting to go back through all of that. But I think that the biggest thing I would encourage people to do is to start to write. And whether that's in the form of journaling or writing a little bit every day, 
whatever your process is, just begin it. And I think most of us who enjoy reading books connect with personal stories. And um, if your story is meaningful, something will happen with it. I love that you had saved some of the things you did, like the initial post-it note with her phone number on it and the (laughs) list that you all had made when you got married about the things you wanted to do. I thought that was wonderful that you were able to actually incorporate those into the book. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, People really resonated with Amy and Jason Rosenthal's marriage goals and ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I thought that was really cool. I enjoyed reading it. Thank you. And then I was glad you followed up later with the ones that you kept and didn't keep because I was feeling a little daunted. So I was happy to see that you had not (laughs) kept up with them all, like the photo every year and things like that, where I say the same, like, it'd be great if we have an annual family photo. And so I was just happy to see it wasn't just us that some of those things uh, (laughs) fell off our radar screen. What do you like to do when you're not writing or reading? Well, uh, the the biggest thing, and this is another uh, in the category of loss during this pandemic. But I think one of the biggest things is, is music, live music. I just really love seeing live music. It's been a big part of my life and our life together, Amy, Amy and I. So there's that. And I, I like to take care of my body and do, do yoga and meditate on a daily basis. Yeah. And this would probably disappoint Amy a little bit because in her early, one of her early books, she wrote uh, 11 things that she's grateful for. And one of them, which was true at the time when the kids were younger and we were raising our family, I, I did not do this, but I am currently sort of hooked on golf. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually a wonderful quarantine sport because you can be outside and uh, enjoy yourself and be socially distant at the same time. Oh, exactly. I hadn't actually really thought about that, but that is great. (laughs) It's like tennis. Some of my friends have been able to play tennis because that is something that you can also do during this time versus some of these sports where you're so close together. The music raises a question for me. Burning Man. I I know you wrote about some about it in your book, but I would love to hear a little bit more about attending it and kind of your thoughts on the whole thing. I've always been so curious as to exactly what it would be like to experience it. So I, Burning Man was on uh, our list as something to do post-kids when we were just the two of us again, which we didn't get the opportunity to enjoy. And so I had connected with a friend, which I wrote the story about in the book, and uh, he sort of invited me along with him and his girlfriend. And I, I did. I tagged along and hung out in their RV and experienced Burning Man for the first time. And most people think that it's a hedonistic party with lots of drugs in the middle of the desert which may be the case for, for people half my age, but it is just a fascinating experience unlike anything else in the, in the everyday uh, quote-unquote default world, which is what people who are at Burning Man call regular life. It, just everything from the second that you step foot in the desert, it's an extreme, extreme situation. It's dirty, it's messy. It's, you have to just sort of let go of most of what you do in your everyday life. And, and, and of course, for me, the first time I went was the year after Amy passed and I had this experience, which I write about a lot in the book, um, of attending the the grieving temple. And the grieving temple is one of the most powerful environments I've ever been in in my life. And essentially what it is, it changes every year. It's this beautiful architectural structure. And people come in and bring offerings to loved ones who they've lost. And they sit together or alone in quiet contemplation, some crying, some laughing, many embracing, And it really, really was important for me and powerful to me 
And I know that that happened to me the, the, the second year that I went as well. And, and hopefully we'll go back there one day. Uh, and I know that it will be a nice place to reconnect with those emotions. Uh, but there's so much I could say about Burning Man, but what, a, what an incredible experience. Well, I didn't realize that that was a component of Burning Man until I was reading your book and I was trying to visualize it. So it's interesting hearing you talk about it. I'm such a practical person. I, I was sitting here the whole time thinking like, do, do people bring tents? Do you bring all your food with you? Are there portalettes? Like how does all of that part <laughs> of it work? Yeah, well, it's different for everyone and there's, you know, different levels. Like I said, you know, if I was in my young 20s, I would pop a tent up and bring my own food and it's tough. Like it's very, very, very rugged, you know, but for me, I'm a little more practical too. And I do like my creature comforts. You're not going to get any of that really uh, in the middle of the desert, but we did it in an RV and we joined a camp. So there's many, many camps that are really, really well run and organized. And so you pay some dues and you have a meal plan and you contribute by working shifts and stuff. So yeah, it's a communal activity. Hopefully when all of this is done, people can get back to those type of things, live music events, sports events, all of it. I am ready. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed speaking with you. And as always, before I wrap up, I ask some favorite recent reads. What have you read lately that you really enjoyed? It took me a while to read this book, but I, I think it came out sometime last year. And I wasn't sure if I could do it, but it was, it's called Letters from Max by Sarah Rule and her student, Max Ritvo. And essentially what it is, is uh, letters back and forth between Sarah, who was a, um, is a playwright and was a professor at Yale and her student, Max. And Max was going through cancer. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful story. It's a love story in a way, even though it's platonic fully. Um, they have just deep, deep respect for each other. And just really, really interesting to see what happens throughout the course of their communication back and forth together. And the other is an old book that came out and someone recommended it to me. I had a really hard time finding it. It's called Timeless Flight, uh, the definitive biography of the birds, which is the band, uh, the birds, B-Y-R-D-S. And it's just, it's a very interesting reflection and process of how the band came together and some of the intricacies and songwriting and the characters. And uh, I highly recommend it. I love the birds. I love that era of music. That's my favorite era. And so I'm going to have to track that one down. Is it, It's not in print anymore? It is not in print. It took me quite a while to track it down, but I am ultimately due. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, that will send me on a journey to track it down myself. That one sounds <laughs> really good. That's actually one of my favorite things about asking this question at the end of every interview is that I learn about so many books that I was not aware of. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I know. There's so many. It's like we don't have time. We don't possibly have time to read everything. Let alone find them all. Um, well, <laughs> thank you again. I really, really enjoyed speaking with you. And I appreciate your taking the time to come on my podcast. Thank you for being interested. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Jason's book can be purchased at Murder by the Book, where I work part-time, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to KP Regan for the sound editing, and I hope to see you next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. 
We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.